Welcome to CII Podcasts. Welcome to this session. I feel privileged to extend my warm welcome to all to this uh, CXO Fireside Chat series, going beyond the obvious, staying relevant with a perpetual transformation mindset. The objective of this Fireside Chat is to throw light on crucial leadership imperatives to build resilience and adopt a mindset of perpetual transformation. I would like to welcome our esteemed moderator, Dr. Srini Srinivasan, Managing Director, PMI South Asia, and our esteemed guest, Ms. Vinita Gera, Senior Director, IT Infrastructure at Dell Technologies. Let me introduce Dr. Srini to all of you. As a Regional Managing Director of PMI South Asia, Dr. Srini Srinivasan oversees PMI's activities in the region, India, Sri Lanka, and Bangladesh. He also leads the PMI Global IT Systems Working Group. Srini has over 30 years of global experience as a CEO, business leader, and an entrepreneur at the intersection of professional services and technology. He is a subject matter expert in strategy, organizational transformation, operations, improvement and analytics-based digital solutions. Before joining PMI, he was the managing director of Arthur D. Little India, based in New Delhi, re-establishing the firm in India. He has also served in senior leadership roles at the Altern Technologies and the Hay Group India. Srini has a doctorate degree in business education, conferred by the University of North Colorado, an MBA from Eastern New Mexico University, and a Bachelor of Accounting degree from University of Madras. So I welcome you, Dr. Srini, to this session. Thank you so much. Let me introduce uh, um, all of you to uh, Ms. Vinita Gera. Uh, Ms. Vinita Gera is a Senior Director at Dell in the IT Infrastructure team and leads Global Enterprise Infrastructure Services. She is responsible for the reliability and availability of infrastructure across all Dell data centers. Prior to this role, Vinita led the India Center of Excellence at Dell Technologies where she was responsible for all site-level strategic programs and operations. Vinita is an active participant in employee resource groups at Dell and a champion of inclusion and diversity. She participates in various industry forums and is also a former co-chair at the CIA Center for Digital Transformation. Vinita is an active speaker in the industry on a variety of topics. She has spoken at uh, national and international industry forums. Vinita has won several industry awards and recognition. One of the key awards she won recently is the Next Gen Woman Leader from Zinov, a global consulting firm. Prior to Dell, Vinita was an engineering leader at organizations like BNC Software and Veritas. Vinita is also a leadership coach and believes in harnessing the true potential that lies within all of us. She is a very strong people-focused leader and has done several certifications from IIM Ahmedabad and Calcutta, ICF, Franklin Conway, Coway, and others. I once again extend a very warm welcome to uh, both the panelists. Uh, with uh, this, I now invite uh, dignitaries to the discussion and request uh, Dr. Srini Srinivasan to set the brief context and take the chat forward with Ms. Vinita. 
Over to you, Dr. Srini. Thank you for that uh, very kind introduction. Nita, it is an honor to have you on this program. Focus of this session is going beyond the obvious. How can have that extra edge, a little extra edge, uh, to make ourselves more relevant within our organizations. As you know, there's a lot of gyan on on how how to prepare for the for the digital revolution and so on. But uh, like me, there are <clears throat> a lot of people in the audience who are just looking for that a few secrets. Uh, and I can't think of anybody more qualified to talk about going beyond the obvious than you. Because I think anybody who's watched your professional career development can attest to the fact that you've consistently gone beyond the office. And, and that's why we're all excited to hear those uh, secrets that you've bottled and kept somewhere safe in Pune. So, uh, I think there are three, at least three distinct phases in your career graph where you've demonstrated uh, tendencies to go beyond the obvious. And I'm going to, with your permission, explore those three phases for the benefit of the audience and for me. Uh, the first phase is your engineering phase, in the, probably the first third of your career. And, and uh, this is where I think, like a lot of young engineers, you got involved in uh, transitioning from legacy to uh, whatever was new and, and uh, focusing on security, which wasn't as well uh, known be perhaps before that, that time. And uh, more than anything else, building excellent products. Uh, so when you look at that phase in your career, Benita, uh, what, what were some of the things that went through your mind looking back uh, that, that made you make some choices that propelled you uh, from, the, from the rest of the, the herd, so to speak? Thank you. First of all, uh, thank you, Dr. Shini, for the uh, kind words. I hope I can uh, share some of the some of the nuggets, as you said, uh, not so secretive, but really simple uh, ones. But we really have to pay attention to them, you know. So, so thanks for the kind words, and uh, and I hope the audience finds it useful. I couldn't have asked for better. This is a great platform to be uh, with someone like Dr. Shini, who has a wealth of experience in in this space. Uh, so, so to your question, um, yes, my first phase, right, when I was building a product, I, it, and we'll talk about the other phases, but I think innovation was the easiest then, right, because our, our sole purpose as an engineering organization was to build a product. Now, I've, le I've led multiple kind of product teams, right, one was actually a sunsetting product, it was uh, it was going to be, we had, I think when I started leading it, it was declared that in another five years, that product is going to sunset. Uh, so one would think, what innovation can you do in a sunsetting product? It's anyways, the customers had been communicated that another five years, you have to move to a different product of ours and so on. Uh, but there wasn't a product innovation over there, but there was a lot of process innovation that we could do. 
uh, especially because the team was shrinking uh, and we know this this is reality of life any time you're on a sunsetting product i think that is the hardest to manage because that's where you have the maximum constraints uh, largely of budget but also of time right like the customers are a little unhappy if knowing that the product is sunsetting so they try to demand the most out of out of the company so your constraints are high so your innovation is focused around process and stability and how to do more uh, and in looking back i think we were almost forced to do it because if we didn't i couldn't have supported that customer base with the restrictions or the uh, limited size of team that i had so uh, that was probably my first uh, forced into innovation scenario uh, and when there is they, they, people often say that when you have no choice right when you have a do or die situation you obviously will look for what to do and you have to carve that time out for doing it we usually know what to do it's carving the time out which is a little challenging uh, i still feel that was easier and an innovation as compared to what it was when we were building a brand new product so soon after the sunsetting product the same team under the same leadership actually moved to uh, building a brand new product like we literally wrote the uh, first line of code and uh, to everyone over here who's um, who's an engineer working on a product uh, i don't think there's anything more satisfying than writing the first few lines of code and building a product and seeing it to its journey so the team was extremely high uh, on it and of course innovation happened because we were building it from scratch but fast forward 5 years when the product was developed that's when right and the customer base was increasing and that's when the pressure is the highest so this isn't in any ways whichever phase you talk about whichever whether you talk about the services teams product teams it team or any other say be it a finance team i think seeping innovation into your day to day work is not an easy problem it it is a hard problem to manage right uh so when we were doing this product and we didn't want to lose any customers right a new product you don't want to lose any customers we were completely focused only on what the customers asking and that again took a hit on the innovation so we had to sit down go back to the whiteboard uh look at how what we set out what we set out was to build a wonderful product and how did we move from that mission to being completely driven by customer needs and customer needs are important make make no I, i make no light of that right it's it's probably the highest need but that shouldn't stop us so so that moment i and i recall that one strategic meeting that me and my team did saying we have lost our ethos of innovation we are so customer driven right now so we took a pause it was it was probably the highest um, highest sense of teamwork that i had seen uh, because this team was passionate about building a new product and we are all in it together right it cannot innovation cannot be a one person driven agenda it came from the team saying you know the first 3 years when we were building the product we were so much more satisfied than now fixing customer bugs so how do we get the best of both worlds we have to figure out customer needs but how do we do it and and once the team is committed the solutions come from within the team largely boils down to time of course but also the passion to do it you know you will create that two hours and we've seen a lot of companies do that 
they lock in a Friday to ours to say, okay, now we go innovate. Those usually don't work till the passion from the team comes from within. So those were my, those are the two highlights of my engineering uh, period, uh, Dr. Shini. You know, one sunsetting product, one brand new product, one forced me to innovate, one we we were not forced to innovate, but the team thought about what they're missing and it came. Fascinating, Vinita. I, I want to double click on both of those points for a second. Uh, because we have uh, people in the audience who are members of CII, who are members of PMI and, and other organizations. And the first point you made is in the sunsetting process. Uh, somebody like me would probably take that as a task to be done and close it down uh, as, as, as uh, soon as possible and as soon as required. But what I heard you say is there was an opportunity that you and your team saw in that sunsetting process to create some innovation. And, and to me, that is clearly an example of kind of going above and beyond, if you will. Uh, you, you've, you, you mentioned that that was a necessity but most of us in the audience, again, in, instinctively wouldn't think of that as a necessity because the, product's got, the product is being put to bed anyway. Uh, can you speak about what that spark was with, with you and, and the team uh, in, in, in the sunsetting process? Sure. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing you asked that because let me give you a context too. Let me give you the context of the sunsetting product. I wasn't the, I didn't build the product, right? A different, like most of the team members who build it. I was brought in when the sunsetting was announced, right? So, so the scenario was that I come from outside. I don't have a attachment to the product like my team did. And the first thing my team, and many of these were, you know, people who've been on the product for years and had built it and may not have started it, but they were attached to the product. Uh, and most of them, I recall, I recall most of them told me they were actually living in this hope that if we do a really good job, this product won't get sunset. It was a false hope. The decision to sunset was made. But I think the, the, the confidence that they had on the product, and it was really a good product. It was, uh, I don't mind naming it, it was called Magic. The name itself was Magic, uh, but Service Desk Express at BMC Software. And uh, the customers loved the product. And that's why the team was sure that if you do a good job, you know, it will um, do it. So, but, but really, uh, independent of that hope, I think the attachment to the product was very high, which to me was an advantage, right? I didn't have to, uh, the, the, the problem that one can land up, and I've done that in my career a few times, the problem that one can land up is the moment you announce that this product is end of life or sunsetting, sun people start looking for greener pastures. And if you lose your team members, you've also lost the IP. How much ever of a knowledge transfer you do, how much ever you know you tell people to transition, you lose the IP. And we did lose some of it, but the large majority of the team stayed, stayed to see it through. Uh, and that I think uh, uh, it's a privilege that I had. Uh, I had that team, but that's not reality all the time. I think it's a very tough situation to take in a product which is sunsetting and you don't have the right people. And then you can't innovate on the process. You are all the time busy reverse engineering. You're trying to understand the code as you fix it. 
and and it's not a it's not a good scenario to be in. It's it's realistic. We see it all the time in our industry, and customers get frustrated. So that's reality. Uh, but I the only advice I would have is if uh, if if uh, you don't have that option, your people who know the IP or know the product have left. The least you can try, at least at least an attempt can be made, is to keep the team members motivated by this fact that working on a sunsetting product is the hardest thing to do, right? And on a product that you haven't done, and how much you will learn in that, and not everyone will understand it. I get that. I get that it's hard to convince people to uh, go on the learning trip and say the maximum learning will happen in this product, uh, but the ones who get it. that yes the maximum learning will happen over here will stay uh, it's up to the leader to show that show what's in it for them because always tying it down to what's in it for me for every human being is super important so ladies and gentlemen that's a that's a nugget so please uh, store that in your nugget box there's more coming from vinita uh vinita you made another point in the sunsetting process which uh, was very interesting for me you said uh the team focused on process innovation and again normally when you are dealing with product people uh, engineer engineering people they they are not champions of process <laughs> in fact many of them would view process as uh, a a stumbling block uh how did you create that culture in the in the team Yeah so these were the days when we still had the divide between development and QA right now we are all talking about devops and merge teams and so on but i think um, i i don't know which side to take i like the idea that developers are responsible for their own code and testing it but this divide of having a separate development team and a separate QA team for that product worked very well for me because then the QA team became the process team right they were the ones who were saying uh in fact in fact i gave a charter to that team saying everything that's coming to you as a repeat needs to be automated so you go ahead and document everything that you're repeating again and again the the regressions that we call or the any whether it's a customer regression or internal everything that you're seeing is a repeat behavior is our opportunity to either automate or figure out if that feature or that part of the code is stable and do we need to rework even if it's a sunsetting product you can always rework parts of the code right if not the whole product uh, so making the qa team responsible for this work because they almost felt like the uh, guards of the product anyways right and for them this was aligned with their team and after that right when we moved uh, now that we have dev and qa teams together and that has huge advantage i feel i feel we become especially the developer community has become much more responsible for their own code and we have a lot of automation in place to detect things that break early on so so huge uh, fan of that methodology but what that did is that process people went away right and people hit in fact process is now outsourced to the machines you expect the platform to be the process which is also correct i mean if you look at ci cd now the platform itself is a process so investing in that is uh, is is a good idea but i'm with you uh you have to find the process champions and 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 i'll tell you something about my own style i i'm a dreamer i'm a visionary i like to think ideas but i'm not the best on process and i knew that very early in my career so what i did as a leader is 
spotted that rather than working on make, making myself a process person which i'm not i always had a right hand who is very very passionate about processes and i relied on that person so even till now every time in my team i have one strong process person uh, that i trust and rely heavily on and that's more of an individual uh, style like i said that's that's how i worked on it but i think recognizing which part of yours uh, you need help with and getting someone on your team strong on that like complementary uh, is always a good idea whatever be your role thank you for that uh let me just move to another point you made uh, in your engineering uh, career uh building brand new products obviously there's a lot of prestige but as you said a lot of pressure that uh, comes with that uh you talked about something that i haven't heard very many people talk about that is how do you create a balance between the voice of the customer and the the need for the right level of innovation can you can you speak to that a little bit yeah yeah uh, uh i'm i'm gathering my thoughts on this because it's an interesting problem uh, and again this is more specific to the engineering team right uh, and typical classic more or less most companies work in this model product management is getting you a list of features uh, you prioritize that whether you do quarterly releases whether you do annual releases you prioritize and say what you can do in a particular release and then slot it for the next few versions right patches and so on uh, i think there is a tendency and i've seen across uh, my uh, my career that most developers and i'm not saying this in a bad way most developers developers tend to uh, buffer up each of their estimates quite a bit right and uh, one can always um, argue debating why does this take two days and why does this take those are the you know planning meetings that go on but somewhere uh, what i did was at least in the initial agile days uh, is let them buffer it up right like i knew i knew they were buffering it up not like crazy buffer but even if they added a day or two extra i let them do it and didn't question it too much for the same reason because we squeezed in the innovation in that framework right so i said okay if you going to add a day per feature or day per feature to test it before you even hand it over to QA let me just add one more innovation feature in the list uh now the fine balance is between communicating this and not doing this in a hiding way right being transparent about it uh the relationship you have with product management who's getting you the who's sitting closely with the customer is very important because if the product management is really worried about giving the customer as much as they can and you're on your innovation trip it's not going to help out uh so when i say relationship with product manager it's relationship for the reason to un- to to make to show them that this innovation is finally essentially going to end up the customer helping the customer itself and you can't start that conversation if you don't have a good rapport with your product manager so an engineering leader uh, you know beyond the delivery like we say when i was an engineering leader my core job was deliver on time deliver at high quality but nowhere was it documented in my job description but we all know that is an important part of our job description is playing this fine balance between the customer the product manager and you're not talking to the customer all the time you're talking to product management largely and your teams and just marrying these two worlds 
with each other saying how everything that you do is finally important uh, so it's a little bit of a, a softer aspect if i may say but but super important takes time and doesn't work if your teams keep changing your product manager keeps changing it doesn't doesn't quite work oh i think vinita what you've just shared to me would be a great example of what we call collaboration skills absolutely how do you find a way to uh bring everybody along uh, uh and and find a way to as you said balance find the right balance between uh uh what product management wants and what the engineering team believes is the right level of innovation uh, i just want to also quickly uh, uh talk about another point you made in passing before we go to the next topic and that is agility if you take a step back and look at some of the work you've done building products uh uh what what might be some lessons for the rest of us in terms of what agility looks like i know it's different for different people different for different situations different for different organization cultures but i just wanted your experience yes i think what i'll tell you what comes in the way of agility right most most times because in principle we all want to be agile what comes in the way in most cases not just engineering scenarios is we get too attached to things right we get too attached to the feature that we have developed so let's take the scenario and and we had this we we had this very much when we were building the uh, new product remedy force uh, that time every feature that we came up with right brainstormed thought it was a great feature built it shipped it you know we got we got attached to those features and if the customer or the product management came back and saying i don't need this i'm going to switch it off in the product people take it personally right so and that's exactly where you need the agility because and, and that's where we lose it so it comes in the way completely it doesn't come in the way to your in your day to day day to day is easier to be agile you know you're prioritizing but after i've put in the efforts right it's like uh, it's like you know if, if i take an analogy uh, uh, and i'll take a personal example so my daughter is studying chemistry and economics and she's done 10 courses of chemistry two are left and now she's like okay i'm just going to do economics now i'm going to graduate in chemistry later because she she doesn't have the she's burnt out and and me as a mother was like you've done everything you only have to do two more classes right can you do it it's my attachment to say get the degree right and maybe a parent in me but for her it's about understanding that i can't do it right it's not important so if the customer just taking that analogy back to the customer the customer clearly tells you you love this feature i don't want it i actually want it to be switched off however disappointed take your 10 minutes to get disappointed but come back right and a simple philosophy i have on agility i don't know if this group will find it useful but it's been very very um, uh, useful for me is don't spend if the if the thing is done right if something has been done or change has been done don't spend more than 10 minutes of the real estate in your head on something where the change has happened get take your 10 minutes but that's it right and i often take more than 10 minutes to get over some of these change and to take my detour go go into a different path and you know we're human we're all human but i've set myself about that if it's done it's done 10 minutes move on and i think it's also this philosophy is also very useful in relationships right like i mean i know we're not talking about that now but still it's the same philosophy 
don't waste your time on something that is done be agile be move on move on and just go to the right thing unless unless you're the ceo of the company and or the owner the stakeholder who has it in their hands to decide whether that's the right direction or not then you have a different responsibility then that's not agility then that's the accountability that you have where agility is not necessarily needed you have to go deeper in fact and not change gears quickly and find out if your decision is real right is the accurate one ladies and gentlemen another nugget alert uh thank you vinita for that i want to move to the second phase at least these are my definitions by the way not yours uh um uh, match when when uh, you became head of coe center of excellence at dell and that was a very different playing field uh uh complex program management uh um where the focus was on higher degrees of innovation uh uh and managing horizontal uh processes as opposed to vertical silos uh can you tell us a little bit about what you took away from that experience sure that was by the way the most fun part of my uh, career I really really enjoyed working it uh because it went well with my personality to to somebody that could be the most chaotic job and i'll tell you why when whenever you're managing a horizontal and briefly speaking what that role was the center of excellence was do everything that applies to the entire organization or most of the organization so you'll have your verticals of engineering services internal it sales finance everyone all these are verticals i was running a horizontal where my core success mantra was to do anything that will make these business units successful so they were my customers right and that is a mixed bag like at one point i sat down and counted counted how many programs my team runs and there were about 50 programs some tiny some big but all kinds and all sizes and none of these were products so you defined you yourself had to define what it means uh so very different from the structured way of project management that we have say in it or in engineering where you where you know what you're building where you have a definition of what you're building this role where i had this i call it a mixed basket of programs was highest on creativity and highest on innovation because you didn't have the customer pressure coming in necessarily right these business units didn't come and tell me what their problem was i had to discover what can i do to make them more successful so it's very very gray and maybe that's why i uh, enjoyed that role the most because you could think and you could define it uh, to those in the audience who have a, a, a gray role like this you know where independent of whichever team you are in a lot of our teams have a lot of gray and it's not black and white my advice would be that's where your creativity and your blue sky thinking gets tested the most because usually when it is gray the reason it is gray is because it is not black and white and nobody has thought about the black and white so you could push you could push the envelope as much as you want and somebody will tell you if you've pushed it too much so don't worry about that uh, and that's exactly what i did when i was doing my coe role i did a lot of blue sky thinking made even more new programs so if i had 50 programs i added more 
uh, really thought of people because uh, it, and I was running something called uh, we were chatting that day Shini was running something called India Innovation Forum mm-hmm. and India Innovation Forum was largely built on the assumption that if business units don't have the time to do too much innovation in their day jobs how can we enable them to do innovation right? so run common innovation programs and trigger that uh, trigger that innovative thinking give them that free space which in which they're not building something for their business unit but free thinking is happening so a lot of it was building that environment for people to do innovation Vinita you've uh, once again highlighted an aspect in our professional lives that we are part of but don't often stop and think about this and this is cross functionality uh to support your point uh recently at PMI we talked to a number of CEOs here in India and we asked them what are some of the most crucial aspects of transformation in your organization and uh won't surprise you they said number one it's not about technology number two the most critical ingredient is getting people to work cross functionally and and uh, i want to i i i want to go a little deeper on this because this to me is another opportunity to go beyond the obvious uh everybody talks about the fact that there's a cross functional team or we're a team and so on and so forth but i think what you've illustrated is the fact that uh it is very very difficult in real life to run something that is horizontal uh and and uh you've talked about some of the ways in which you you made that happen and innovation as well uh, as as a nice added bonus to that uh again if you take a couple of steps back what might be some tips that you would offer uh all of us in the audience about how to do cross functionality and innovation uh in more or less the same breadth No, absolutely so look uh, look that team of mine was a defined horizontal team often the reason silos exist and cross functional collaboration doesn't happen is because nobody is responsible for it right so when i was running the coe i gave myself a title called cco it was a it was a joke kind of a title so it's not really a, i called myself the chief connecting officer oh wonderful <laughs> how wonderful. do you connect two dots and i used to Every day, I used to think about how many dots did I connect today, right? And uh, and what I took from there is you don't have to be in such a role to connect dots. You can connect dots in any role that you are in, and that behavior, if you embrace it, it's rewarded by organization. So take this as a you know more of a career enhancing tip than a project management or innovation tip because think about it. If this is the number one problem that exists. and if you behave exactly solving that problem isn't it amazing that you are connecting the dots and you are fixing a problem so uh, every time i mean we use the word networking we use the word collaboration but person a today told you they are sitting on this problem and you know where to take them don't wait for a process or a program or a structure just connect the two dots just say hey talk to this person i know they can get you what you need and and i think it's a very straightforward time thing doesn't take too much time uh easier said than done 
I, th I think we, many of us struggle with that because uh, as you rightly pointed out, you don't have to be the leader to do that. Uh, uh, it can it can come naturally to any any team member. Uh, one aspect which I'm sure many people in the audience will be wondering about in this day and age of uh, a remote everything, how do you make that collaboration stick? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I think collaboration has taken a major hit. There's there's zero doubt about. Like, I mean, uh, the other day we were, uh, you know how when you were in office, right? Like when we were all in office, pre-meeting and post-meeting is when people chatted about a few things. That's not happening at all. And one may not see it today, what, what they're missing, uh, because it's not very tangible. It's not tangible what we're missing right now. Work is getting done, things are getting done. But this, this part of connecting dots as an example, or this part of just quickly chatting up and saying, oh, what, what about this? Oh, what about this? Which happens, which you won't set up a Zoom meeting for or a WebEx meeting for. It's not an agenda topic. Uh, so I think the best workaround, uh, while we are in hybrid, remote, uh, whichever way, uh, actually the two, two, two uh, ways I would recommend we should do it and uh, I'm trying to embrace that uh, in, in, in my day to day. Uh, one, I try and find the time, especially on Fridays, which is our less meetings day, uh, to have the no agenda meetings with people I anyways need to collaborate with, or either my stakeholders or anybody, right? The ones I know and I mix it up. I don't stick to those five or six people, but I keep mixing it up and collaborate with different people in different forums on that Friday. Does take time again, so easier said than done. That's the day you want to some, somewhere focus on work and do less meetings, but but if you can allocate that little bit of a time, because you would have done that even when you were in office, you would have gone for that chai, you would have gone for that lunch and done the same thing. That's one. And second thing is while different organizations are giving different frameworks on return to office, right? Some are mandating, some are not mandating, some are saying two days a week. I think let the organizations define what they want. Let your business units define what you, what they want. But you make a choice. I think don't go by the rules necessarily, right? So if, let's take an example, if my organization has said, which it has said, is to go fully remote. But if me and my team members are living in the same city, we we have the choice to go to office. Offices are open, right? So doing that in person, figure out one day of the week when you can go and work from office and bringing that back a little bit for yourself again, not for any company mandate, can uh, be a little good middle path and uh, uh, like I say right every time if you do something for yourself like like the first example I gave you my team wanted to innovate for themselves and I couldn't have asked for better the same thing goes about return to office I hear very extreme views from people saying but this person is sitting in Lucknow so they can't come in so we they will miss out doesn't matter start with whoever's in the same city don't want to meet in office meet at a cafe but start bringing a few things uh, that were there and the goodness of those back again. Again, uh, to, to uh, uh, emphasize the point you just made, uh, at PMI, we uh, have done a lot of work in program, complex program management. And one of the things that comes out time and time again is the ability to, as you put it, connect the dots. 
and somebody once said to us it's really about being an orchestra conductor it's about getting all the different musical instruments to play in concert uh, and and with the level of complexity in programs just kind of growing exponentially uh, uh, i think your words of wisdom probably will ring with us for a, for a while to come because it's really about connecting the dots uh, i want to move to again my definition of your third phase which is the phase you're in now which is uh, uh complex it program management uh, uh responsible for infrastructure services across a wide spectrum of sectors as well as a global footprint uh how do you keep yourself and your team uh motivated to to have that edge that we're all looking for yeah they always say the past looks easier than the current right so i find i find my it team and also because i'm doing it for the first time this work the most complex and the most hard and also because i'm you know the only person who's one year into the team and i'm sitting around with people who've done this for 20 20 years but the learning is a lot like i'm not setting up massively new processes but a lot of processes exist which i'm a big fan of i mean from the outside i i never knew it can be uh, you know internal it can be so complex especially for a large company uh, for for a company our size we have a lot of data centers a lot of legacy uh, software and hardware which we have to end of life over time so at any point of time there is both going on right correct not correcting but cleaning up the legacy and investing in the more modern digitized software uh, and anytime you go to a conference and an it leader speaking we largely speak about modernizing it because that is that is what we are doing largely but what we usually don't talk about is while we are modernizing the it and transforming everything that we are doing in our data centers and it all is very very nice we still would have you know one server with one old software sitting out there which we can't easily remove because some business is dependent on it and those are the ones which take a lot of time so so when it comes to and sometimes it's hard to find the skills right so my learning over here if i were to summarize in a couple of points is one end of life of the old legacy hardware extremely important right even if there is a push even if there's something going on but extremely important for multiple reasons one it's taking you away from the modernization agenda that you have it's taking bandwidth away second very soon you're not going to going to find skills to do it i was trying to hire someone on a very old storage uh, product of of our own that we have we're not getting that skill it's it's and you can't hire someone just for that so 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 you struggle anyway so i think end of life programs and most of our companies have end of life programs either for security reasons or for you know it's becoming expensive to do that and it's always going to be a phased approach it's realistic to split it as a multi year plan you can't suddenly how much ever we dream about a clean slate one day it doesn't happen it's a multi year project and it'll continue but it is important i think it you cannot get attracted by just the most shiny new modernization project this one needs your focus as a leader if the leader doesn't focus on it 
it's going to slow it down. So it needs a little bit of a structured approach. So the way we have, the way we run it, uh, Shini, and you mentioned this about execution. How do you do it when in such a complex world? We literally run strategic programs the same way as we run the non-strategic programs. And here is where the finest of project management experience gets tested. You really need to have good project management skills when everything has to be tracked with data, right? Like how many servers, how many incidents, everything is a number. In IT, it's all very, very number driven. Uh, so we have, we, what, what we do is we club all the strategic programs into, let's just say for one team, uh, into one meeting where you quickly go over all the strategic programs and its progress once in a week. So you don't lose sight of how you're proceeding and you don't want to wake up three months later and somebody says this didn't get done. So weekly checkpoint, a quick five minute checkpoint. The pre-work to that happens before by the product managers. And a similar focus for our non-strategic programs, which is about keeping the lights on, ensuring. And then there is, of course, the third light, the third whole uh, main part of our job, which is keeping our infrastructure up, stable to whatever five, nine, six, nines that we are committed. So it's a complex job. I think it's one of the most complex uh, roles I am uh, doing. I'm not even scratching the surface, but to this forum and this context, I think the finest level of project management is important in complex team this. Thank you for that. My head is spinning just trying to imagine what uh, you're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, I Again, I want to I want to just double click on something you talked about. Uh, given the fact that you have two ends of the spectrum, strategic projects with a lot of business value attached to it, and non-strategic projects, which in my own mind would be just kind of keeping the lights on, if you will. Uh, and and you talked about the fact that the balance that you and the team tried to strike is to treat them essentially the same way, apply the same uh, 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 level of rigor and apply the same level of concern as you as you uh, would uh, and not treat them, not treat the non-strategic projects as stepchildren. Uh, what might be just a couple of quick uh, uh, ideas from you that we can take away on that in that regard? How to, how to make sure that we create that common level of uh, attention to detail and you talked about being data driven just now how do we do that in the in the midst of uh, everything that's happening around us yeah no, this, this is super important and and again i love that these are not processes i've made uh, this team has it i love the way we do it over here while we treat them the same right while we have the same amount of attention you, a human mind can get mixed up with these two things. So we, we talk about them separately. We treat them the same, but, but the meetings, if there's a strategic programs meeting, we only talk about strategic programs. Otherwise, and, and despite the separation, we see the mix-up happening. So often in a strategic meeting, somebody will bring up, a, you know, oh, but we can't do this because this end of life didn't happen and so on and so on. So, so that's how the human mind is. You mix it up. But running these meetings with a very clear focus on this is the agenda of this meeting and this is the agenda of this meeting and they're two different programs, even though there might be a linkages, is very important. And I think it needs a fair amount of leadership quality when it comes to meetings 
to be able to stay focused and quickly it becomes a habit of others in your teams you know so if people if you could also digress yourself right as a person who is running the meeting also i could digress so just holding building that culture of everyone should keep us focused on this meeting and as strategic and this one is tactical and then we have something where we can do a free form discussion so it adds up to the meeting but every time i evaluate the number of meetings we are doing for these things i think about it and say if we ran one meeting per program it would be even more crazy so this is still very crisp so that's one second i think rewarding behaviors or rewarding team members on both equally you can't focus on uh, uh, again the psychology that most humans have is that the strategic part if you're working on that you're more important and if it's the same philosophy from what i what we spoke about on the engineering project so sometimes we blend the two right a lot of our so if i'm a server engineering leader right and i'm responsible for all the servers in dev as a as a persona i am also responsible for my end of life servers and i am also responsible for the newest monitoring software that i'm putting on my servers and the same team we creating that divide between the same, between teams saying you go take care of end of life and this one takes is actually more expensive than mixing the team there's pros and cons of both the models but i find mix keeping keeping the same team account, accountable better because uh, it's the same dev qa strategy right you are responsible for your code you'll test it and this is servers your unit whether it's older new so that's one uh, tip the meeting part is another one and the third one is like i said recognition i think every behavior needs to be recognized whenever people go out of their way even if it's not getting you new money but saving old money recognize that behavior vinita uh, this is been truly an educational journey for us all of us in the in the audience uh I can't thank you enough for sharing those as I called it nuggets that help us go beyond the obvious and and you've given us plenty of uh, nuggets to chew on uh, today all the way from uh creating innovation where uh no innovation typically exists like in a sunsetting process all the way down to connecting the dots chief connecting officer to uh actually helping uh the backbone of the IT infrastructure run through complex program management uh but to me what i took away what the common denominators were in pretty much everything you said were two things that stood out one is passion uh and you've talked about that and you 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 we can feel it from you we can feel it and the second is your concern for people and 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 uh those are two very very encouraging signs for me and for the audience and i hope uh we all have benefited as as uh, immensely as I, i have personally from listening to you so thank you so much thank you for being part of this program i'm sure there will be a lot of people who would want to uh, connect with you or 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 discuss things with you they can certainly route it through cii and say i will find a way to to get that to you and we'll find a way to answer as many questions as possible together thanks everyone bye bye thank you bye bye thank you for listening to cii podcasts